0: Welcome to the program, I'm Jeff Sheckman. When Sally Ride blasted off as the first American woman into space back in 1983, she may not have known it at the time, but she stood on the shoulders of dozens of women who, beginning in the 1940s, helped America compete in the space race and in the Cold War. Based at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, these women essentially provided the computational power that made rocketry viable. They shattered not only glass ceilings, but helped free us from what the poet John McKee called the surly bonds of Earth. My guest, Nathania Holt, takes a look at these remarkable women in her new book, Rise of the Rocket Girls. Nathalia Holt trained at MIT, Harvard, and Massachusetts General Hospital. Her previous book was Cured, The People Who Defeated AIDS. And it is my pleasure to welcome Nathalia Holt here to talk about Rise of the Rocket Girls the women who propelled us from missiles to the moon to Mars. Nathalia, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. How did you first become aware of this uh, group of women that worked at JPL back in the 40s and 50s?
1: Well, I came across their story by coincidence, and it started in 2010 when my husband and I were pregnant with our first child, and we were trying to come up with baby names. We would make these long lists of names, and none of them seemed right, And it was actually my husband who first suggested the name Eleanor Francis. I wasn't so sure about it, and so I did what parents do these days, and I Googled the name. And the first person to come up in my search was a woman named Eleanor Francis Helene. And there's just this beautiful picture that popped up of her. It's taken in black and white at NASA in the 1960s where she's accepting an award. And when I saw this picture, I was stunned because I had no idea that women worked at NASA at this time, much less as scientists. So I knew that I had to learn more. And I was really surprised to find out that she was just one of many. There was a large group of women working at NASA starting in the 1940s.
0: And how did the project begin? How did they decide that they were going to recruit these women and really given uh, what it was they set out to have them do?
1: Yes, yeah, so these women were hired for the early grants that were put into rocket research. And these came about during during World War II and they worked on early missiles and early projects like JADO that helped bring bombers into the air. And it ended up being an all-women team because it's kind of a funny reason because at the time they were hiring men and women to be computers. But at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, they ended up making the supervisor of the computer section a woman, and her name was Macy Roberts. She was promoted in 1942, and she decided that she was going to hire only women. And so today, of course, this would be a lawsuit, but <laughs> back then her thinking was that she wanted to, she wanted to create a cohesive group, And she worried that if she hired men, they just wouldn't listen to her.
0: And when you say they were there as computers, what exactly did that involve back in those days?
1: Yes, it's not a term we hear much these (laughs) days as regards to human beings. But back then, before all of the devices we have today, a computer simply meant a person who computes. And laboratories would need to hire large numbers of computers to perform all of the calculations for their experiments.
0: These were women that had degrees in mathematics, that had become, had gone to school for this, but they were a very rare group. Talk about that aspect of it.
1: Yes, they had a variety of backgrounds. They came from all over the country. Some of them had degrees in math and engineering. One of them, an African-American woman named Janice Lawson, had a degree in chemical engineering from UCLA So today, of course, she would be hired as an engineer. Back then, she was hired as a computer. And there were also women who didn't have degrees who were just very good at math and who had taken all of the math that they could. Um, So they all shared this passion for mathematics. And because of this, they, they formed this very strong group and did all of the calculations by hand with paper and pencil in the lab.
0: And talk a little bit about the science of it, what it was they were doing, what it was this calculation was leading to, and really some remarkable breakthroughs that they made along the way. They did. Yes,
1: so in the beginning, they were calculating the potential of different rocket propellants. Nobody really could be sure what was the best type of fuel to use in these early rockets and missiles. So they were doing a number of tests to determine this. They were also calculating the trajectories of these missiles and rockets. And at the same time that they're, they're performing these um, with really almost no, no outside help except for these sort of bulky Frieden calculators that were loud and, and really could only do simple addition and subtraction. Later models could do square roots. Um, but yet with just those and with paper and pencil, they were figuring out the potential of all of this different weaponry for World War II. And then what's interesting is that this, this weaponry never really became that useful from a military perspective, but it became critical in the 1950s when we started to use it for space exploration. And so, for instance, the, one of the missiles they worked on, which is called the Sargent, that missile was never particularly useful from a military perspective but they ended up using the design to to shoot off the first rockets that launched America's first satellite. And then these women, of course, had very long careers. They had 50-year careers at the lab. So even after paper and pencil started to take a back seat, they then became the first computer programmers in the lab. This was very unusual at the time. I found that at most NASA centers, once digital computers came in, the humans that worked as computers largely lost their jobs, but that wasn't the case for this group. Uh, so their roles really changed over time, and they did, of course, eventually become engineers.
0: Once the space race was in full bloom and Sputnik had launched and, and the competition became part and parcel of really American culture, how did they see their role, and was it amped up at that point?
1: It was. Once the space race... Race really got started in the late 1950s so it, it really got launched with the first satellites that went into space and when this happened everything changed they no longer worked on re- weaponry now they just focused on exploration and their hours changed they now had to work very long hours during launches they frequently had to work through the night in the control room because they were the ones calculating the trajectories of these rockets as they rose in the sky Uh, So it it definitely changed their, their work and their careers.
0: How were they perceived by the men that were working at JPL at the time? They
1: had a great working relationship with the men. And this was interesting to me because this certainly was not the case at many other NASA centers where I found that the people who worked as computers often were were only involved in the periphery of the science they worked on. They had to work these sort of set eight-hour days. And this wasn't the case at JPL. The women there worked as needed on these projects, and they had a wonderful relationship with the men they worked with. They really felt respected, like they were part of the science. Um, But of course, at the same time, they were subject to gender norms of the day. They participated in beauty contests that were held at the lab, um, which seemed so ridiculous by (laughs) today's standards, Um, but you know, in some ways these beauty contests, so there was first misguided missile, which was then changed to queen of outer space, and when I first found out about these, of course, I just thought they were so silly, so arcane. Um, But then I I realized that in a way they reflect the progressive hiring policies of JPL. No other NASA center could have held a beauty contest because they simply didn't hire enough women.
0: Talk a little bit about JPL as, as an entity and why it was so much more progressive than so many other NASA places.
1: Yes, it was a very different culture at this lab. Unlike other NASA centers, which always had this military core at its base, JPL was started by this wild group known as the Suicide Squad in the late 1930s. And this was a group that just loved to fire off rockets. And they performed a series of very dangerous experiments at the Caltech campus. They shot up a fountain of nitrous dioxide that ended up ruining landscaping. And they set off an explosion in a wind tunnel that completely rusted out the structure. And they even exploded off a piece of the building. And when this happened, Caltech finally said, you guys have to leave. And so they went to this isolated canyon in Pasadena and started doing their experiments there. And that isolated canyon is where JPL is today. So right from the beginning, the lab has always had this very academic feel. It's always been this rugged, rebel place of scientists and engineers. And I I think it still carries some of those characteristics today.
0: Talk about the women that were more ambitious, that really wanted a bigger role in the science at JPL.
1: Well, in general, these women had a very big role in the science at JPL, and they really pursued it. They were a part of these missions in every way. They were there in the control room, and their responsibilities just grew as time went on. Uh, i did find that there's some women who just really excelled and did incredibly well at the lab Um, and some of their names are helen lang who was a longtime supervisor of the computers after macy roberts retired she had a big role in bringing more women into the lab and we really see this in the late 60s when while the women finally became engineers many engineering programs in the country were still closed to women And so what Helen did was she brought in women who had degrees in math and in computer science, and then she encouraged them to go to night school. And so because of her, we see so many women that are at JPL today that were hired by her and have had just incredible careers. One of them who was hired by Helen is named Sylvia Miller, and she was hired in the late 1960s as a computer. She's one of the last ones. She went to night school. She did become an engineer. Uh, She became director of the Mars Program Office and has just worked on an incredible number of missions before she ended up retiring. And there's a lot of stories like this of women who are really encouraged and and just did incredibly well at the lab.
0: To what extent does their legacy still carry on at JPL today?
1: Yes, so there are no longer computers at the lab, of course. (laughs) Um, <laughs> except the digital ones that people use. IBM's they're prominent. <laughs> but the, the legacy they have are, are the sheer number of women. There's more women at JPL hired at every level than any other NASA center. And it's really because of the hiring policies of Macy Roberts in the 1940s and 50s and Helen Lang after that. Um, and we see there are still women that were hired by Macy Roberts at the lab. One of them is named Sue Finley, She was hired in 1958, and today she's NASA's longest-serving female employee. She loves her job at the lab. However, in 2004, NASA decided that if you don't have a bachelor's degree, you can't be an engineer. So the lab ended up taking away that title and put her on an hourly salary. Now, she still works at the lab. She really loves her her job there, and she's currently working on Juno, which is our mission to Jupiter.
0: Talk a little bit about whether or not this culture that has been so effective at, at JPL has really been picked up anywhere else in NASA, any other Na- NASA facilities.
1: Well, we certainly see this legacy in the class of astronauts this year. 2016 is the first year that the NASA class is made up half of women. Hmm and this is just an incredibly exciting feat. These women are are so amazing, so skilled, and I'm really excited to see what explorations they they do next.
0: Nathalia Holt, her book is Rise of the Rocket Girls, The Women Who Propelled Us from Missiles to the Moon to Mars. Nathalia, I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you.